While Jesus was on the cross, we're told some of his last words were, it is finished. But what did Jesus mean by it is finished? Did he mean what I mean when I tell my wife I'm finished the laundry? Just to let you know, when I say I'm finished the laundry, I feel like she should be so excited and proud. I feel like I should get like a special treat for actually doing the laundry. Like, I feel like I've done an amazing accomplishment for all men when I do the laundry. But, see, thank you. But for some reason, she doesn't think it's so amazing. It probably has something to do with the fact when I say I'm finished, I, there's still a big pile of unfolded clothes on the bed. I'm not too sure how it happens, but they magically get folded. Did Jesus mean what my kids mean when they say they're finished? Probably like you, you tell your kids to go clean the room. They come down five minutes later, say, it's finished, Dad. The toys all over the floor, closets and under the bed stuffed with things. Or when they say, hey, I'm finished my food, to which they still have a plate full of vegetables laying. The other day, Tyler came and said, I'm finished. And he looked at us and just acted like his stomach. He said, what's wrong, buddy? You know, he was being a little dramatic. He said, my stomach hurts. I can't eat anymore. And so the flu has been going around my house, though. So we said, uh-oh. But he proceeded to tell us, but daddy, I think I need ice cream because I think that'll make my belly feel better. <laughs> like, good try. He's four. He's learning, though. Is that what Jesus mean when he said he's finished? You see, the disciples didn't really understand what Jesus meant. And to be fair, we can't really blame them. Watching Jesus hang on a cross, well, before he was even put on the cross, watching Jesus beaten, then hung on a cross, cry out, it is finished, and then be buried in a tomb, what else can you think is happening? Because all of us have had disappointments in our lives, just, just like you, we've all had them. But what they were experiencing was something very different. You see, they'd follow a man who claimed to be the Messiah for over three years, They've left their jobs, they've left their careers, they've left their families, they've left everything behind and just started following him. But now he's gone. Now he's dead and they feel truly finished. You see, when Jesus died, he died publicly. He died for everybody to see. He died for each and every one of them to see so they feel that there's no hope. There's no going back. They can't go back to their families. Their families think they've been talking bad about God. They can't go back to their jobs. They left them three years ago. They can't go back to their place of worship because all of their Sunday school teachers and leaders would have thought they'd been talking wrong about God all of these years. You see, evidently what they would have thought when Jesus cried out it was finished, that means all that Jesus was doing is finished, that the work that he was doing with them is done. But they didn't know what Jesus truly meant. And luckily for us, he meant something very, very different than they were expecting. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open up to John chapter 20, verse one. If you don't have a Bible or you don't feel like opening it, that's okay. It'll be on the screen back here behind you. It says this, early on the first day of the week. What's the first day of the week? Sunday. While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. See, Mary had gone to put spices on the body. She went to the tomb. She was expecting somebody dead to be in the tomb. 
And the Jewish leaders requested that the tomb be secure. They asked that a large stone be placed in front of the tomb where Jesus was and that guards would be there guarding it because the Jewish people said, hey, we know Jesus said some pretty, pretty you know, ridiculous things. We don't want the disciples going to steal the body. So they asked Rome to guard the tomb and they guarded the tomb. But when Mary shows up, well, the stone was rolled away and evidently there was no body. John 20 verse two says, so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So look at this, Mary runs to the other disciples and said, they have taken him. So the Jewish people think the disciples are gonna steal the body. Now the disciples think the Jewish people, the the Jewish leaders have stolen the body. Everybody's thinking someone's gonna steal Jesus's body. So she goes and says, they've taken it just just like we thought. Verse three, so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, look at this, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. You realize that's in there just to tell us that John was faster than Peter? That's definitely, like, you know the Bible has to be true as they can, by the way, I beat Peter. Just throwing that out there for everybody to see, I was faster. Verse five, it says, he bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen laying there, and he went as, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separated from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who reached the tomb first, another plug, John, thanks, he also went inside. He saw and believed. But look what it says, verse nine. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had arise from the dead. So we see Peter and John rush to the grave. They went in, the linen was laying, but the body was missing. I mean, who steals a body but leaves the linen behind? Surely they would be confused. But notice John says, well, when I saw it, I believed. But, you know, they they didn't really get it. They didn't understand the scriptures, but I did. I I was faster, and I believed first, just pointing that out for everybody to see. But just like us, they would be bewildered and, and be confused because that is dead. They're expecting to see a dead body. They didn't think, their first thought wasn't, oh, Jesus must be walking around. He must have raised from the dead. They're going, we don't understand this. Which means if you've ever struggled understanding Jesus, If you've ever struggled with just learning what he says and even following him, like, I don't know how this is gonna work out, just know you're in good company because the people closest to Jesus didn't get it all either. Verse 10 tells us the disciples went back to where they were staying, so they saw it and went back home. Puzzled puzzled and confused, but luckily for us, that's not the end of the story. Look at verse 19 with me. It says, on the evening of the first day of the week, When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. So they're gathered together on Sunday in their communities locked behind the doors. Now, why are they locked? Why are they in fearful? Because the Jewish leaders just took Jesus to Rome to have him crucified. They're thinking, hey, they may try to do the same thing to us. So they're fearful, scared, and hopeless. But Jesus says, peace. Jesus makes an appearance in front of them. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. 
See what turned their frown upside down? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. What can turn your life upside down? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because they started to understand and started to really think through it that if somebody can predict their own death and resurrection and actually pull it off, will you just believe everything else they say? Even though this is too hard to comprehend, even though it's too difficult to really grasp, Jesus actually pulling off a resurrection, something that no one has ever done, that means you can just trust them. You may not understand everything, you may not get everything, but if he can do that, well, that means when he said he had come to save people, he really has come to save That means when he said he's come to set people free, he really will set you free. That means when he says he's come to forgive and give eternal life and an amazing life, I mean, he really can do that. If he can raise his body from the grave, then all that other stuff would be a lot easier. You see, that's what Jesus, excuse me, that's what Easter is all about. Jesus accomplishing an amazing task of dying for our sins on the cross and being raised to give us a new life. The Apostle Paul sums it up like this, Romans 4, 25. It says, he was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. And you see, it's during this time and, and over the next 40 days, they learn what it is finished means. And they learn that Jesus wasn't finished with them. Jesus wasn't finished this movement he had begun He had just started. Jesus finished paying for their sins. Jesus finished the work on the cross. He paid what needed to be paid for you and them and me. You see, Jesus just dying on the cross wasn't anything new. Plenty of Jewish people were killed on Roman crosses. That's not what got them excited. That's not what the witnesses went around telling everybody. The thing that stuck out to them and the reason we know about Jesus Christ is not because he taught, not because he walked on water, not because he died on a cross. The reason we still hear about Jesus Christ is because the witnesses say he rose from the grave. You ever seen that done? He says, no, like this is what it's all about. You see John and all the New Testament writers All of them place an emphasis on the empty tomb. This isn't Jesus kind of spiritually rising from the dead. This isn't a metaphor they're using that we kind of get mixed up in translation. They're not confused about seeing a vision. You see, because first they say there is no body. And then they said, he's appeared. They're not confused. They're saying he has risen. You see, our faith, and I hope your faith, is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what these men and women go around the world preaching about. And the apostle John, as he's writing this, he's like, listen, I know this is gonna be hard for you to believe. I know this doesn't kind of like make logical sense. I mean, dead is dead. We've all seen that. And someone coming back from the grave, that might be hard for you. But he says, hey, you're struggling. You're not alone. Because one of Jesus's followers weren't there when he appeared. And we get to see his story. Says John 20, 24 says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12 was not, when the disciple, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. You see, 
Thomas wants more proof. Evidently, the disciples were telling Thomas all about Jesus. Because remember, it told us when Jesus appeared, he showed them his wounds. So the disciples would have repeated to Thomas, hey, we've seen him. He showed us his wounds. Thomas like, I'm not sure. He's like, no, we actually saw it, Thomas. And so he goes a step further and says, oh, yeah, I don't want to see it. I want to touch it. He goes to the extreme. But we see why. He's making a choice here. He says, I will not believe. But think about what Thomas has seen so far. He's seen Jesus walk on water. He's seen Jesus feed 5,000. He's seen Jesus change water into wine. He's seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. He's seen Jesus raise, I mean, excuse me, restore sight to the blind. I mean, Thomas has seen plenty. His friends that he's been hanging out with for three years says, hey, we've seen them too. But Thomas isn't satisfied because Thomas makes a choice. He says, I will not believe. Maybe that's where some of you are today. You're choosing not to believe. There's plenty of evidence. There's plenty of things you know that happen, but you're making a choice not to believe. You see, Thomas believed Jesus died on the cross. Perhaps Thomas believed Jesus died for them because when Jesus was on trial, he didn't point fingers back to the disciples. Jesus, Thomas knew Jesus was a good man. In fact, he probably believed he was from God. Thomas, but raising someone from the dead, Thomas thought, raising yourself from the dead, well, only God can do that. A week later, verse 26, his disciples were in the house again, but Thomas was with them. So a week later, again, is Sunday. It's been a week. It's Sunday again. The disciples are hanging out together. They're at their gathering, and Thomas is with them. And maybe that's where some of you are today. You're an openly confessed, I do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but you're still hanging out with Christians on Sunday. That's what Thomas was doing. Maybe they promised him a good potluck. Maybe his grandma or mom put their foot down and said, you will go to church with me today. Ever happened to you? It's happened to all of us, don't worry. Maybe his friends guilted him. Regardless, we don't know why, but Thomas says, I don't believe, but he's hanging out with them on Sunday. And it says, though the doors were locked, Jesus came, stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here, see my hands, reach out your hands and put it into my side. Stop doubting and, what's that word? Believe. See, Thomas isn't praised for his demands. Jesus knows his problem and simply says, here, Thomas, you know what your problem is? You're doubting. Just stop. Because it's a choice. Stop doubting and believe. You see, all of us, all of us have a choice. You can choose to doubt and grow into those doubts. You can choose to believe and grow in your faith, but you have to start on a path. Are you choosing to believe or are you choosing to doubt? And when Thomas saw the risen Lord, verse 28, it says, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. He's not cussing here, by the way. It's a confession. You see, now we see. And evidently, Thomas didn't need to touch the wounds of Jesus I always kind of get amused as a pastor when I talk to people and they say, oh yeah, when I get to heaven, I'm gonna ask God this. 
When I get to heaven, I'm gonna want him to answer for. And I kinda, kinda chuckle inside. I don't usually correct them because every biblical account, when you see God, you bow down and you confess. There is no let him, let him come. Look, he's gonna answer to me. It, it, it never happens, just letting you know. But Thomas's confession, my Lord and my God, shows us what the problem was. This is why the resurrection is so important to believe. Because if someone can raise their body from the dead, they must be God. This is speaking to the deity of Jesus Christ. That's the real struggle Thomas has, is that Jesus is more than just a man. And you see, John here wants us to see a proper confession of faith. It's the last one in the scriptures. After everything he's written, he's like, now here, here's what it looks like. Here's what I'm trying to show you. The proper confession is Jesus is my Lord and my God. You see, Jesus is much more than a good teacher. Jesus is much more than a man who was just a prophet. Jesus was God himself wrapped in human flesh. You see, for, if you've read the Gospel of John, you probably noticed this, but when we see the last confession, this one right here, which says, my Lord and my God, it takes us back to the very beginning of the Gospel of John. Very beginning, he said, in the beginning was the Word and the word was with God and the word was God. John says, see, I told you at the beginning, that's where we were going. I told you right from the start, this is who this man was. And now I'm showing you how we came to that conclusion. The resurrection. You see, it starts with God creating. That's what Genesis 1-1 tells us. That's what we see in the gospel of John. In the beginning was the word tells us everything was created through Jesus. You see, that's what's so important to understand because look at this. In order to recreate, you have to add created. Because he created the world, he can recreate the world through his resurrection. That's what's happening here. That's the new life offered. That's how you can be born again. That's how the world's gonna be set straight because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, the resurrection tells us that God has done something miraculous that God has done something amazing and so mind-blowing, something like the creation of the world. Like, we're not gonna always understand it. We can't fully fathom it, but that's the point. It's something that only God can do. So John says, you believe. You may not have all the answers, you may not know how it all works, but you simply choose to believe. And this next verse has to be so comforting. Look at this. It says, then Jesus told them, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This has to be an encouragement for us today because evidently Jesus is saying, listen, you don't have to see me to get it. You don't have to see my body raised to get it. And what I believe Jesus means by that we are blessed is that if we choose to believe this, that he's gonna intervene in our life, he's gonna come around us, if we walk towards that belief, he's gonna lead us to a full, a better understanding. He's gonna lead us to this place of just understanding him and growing in him. See, Jesus isn't gonna abandon us or leave us. Jesus never minds in the gospels, he never minds doubts or people who are trying to investigate and aren't really sure but Jesus always rebukes, always self-centered, prideful arrogance. 
Maybe you've met those people, the ones who know everything. Jesus is never okay with them. But it's a choice. You see, are you, are you choosing to be a critic of Jesus? Are you coming to him with childlike faith? Saying, you know, I didn't create the world, so I don't know how it all works. I'm gonna choose to believe. But understand, childlike faith isn't blind faith. Nobody would suggest you have blind faith. In fact, John is saying, well, I'm sitting here trying to tell you, this isn't blind faith. I'm telling you the account of what happened. Look at the next verse, verse 30. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. John's like, look, there's so much that happened. That's why we're writing you this. The disciples didn't make up the resurrection of Jesus because they were bored, because they were trying to comfort themselves, because they were trying to like continue this thing on. In fact, 10 out of 12 that were following them after this get killed because of their faith. Listen, you don't die for a lie. That is pointless. Something happened here and it was the resurrection. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important aspect of our faith. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, if Christ hasn't been raised, well, he says, you're still in your sins. Preaching is pointless. All of us are false witnesses about God and Christians should be pitied more than anybody else because we've been claiming false things about God. You see, it's because of the resurrection we even have the scriptures did you know that? Do, do you know what prompted them to write about Jesus? All of them are saying, hey, guess what? This guy rose from the grave. Yeah, he did a lot of other things, but he actually rose from the grave. That's what the New Testament writers are trying to explain to us. They're giving us the accounts of Jesus. Luke's a historian. He says, listen, I've carefully investigated all of this. Jesus rose from the grave. The apostle Paul tells us again in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, hey, over 500 people saw Jesus after he was raised. He says, we have eyewitnesses, eyewitness accounts of this. Apostle Paul says, this is a historical fact. Go talk with the people who are still alive. 2,000 years later, we're going, well, Paul, I can't do that now. That's a long time ago. But he said, no, we've seen him. You see, the resurrection changed everything for those who believed. They wrote about it, talked about it, gave their lives up for it. See, the resurrection gives life in the place of death, hope in the place of despair, peace in the place of fear, confidence in the place of doubt. Because if he can conquer the grave, then he can conquer whatever you're going through. You see, the resurrection can change your, everything for you too. But you must believe. That's the prerequisite. And maybe you're like the disciples and you think you're finished. You think you've messed up too much. You think there's no way God could use you because of what you were doing last night or maybe last week or maybe last month. You're like, look, there's no way God could use me. I've done way too many bad things. Or maybe you've just had the worst days of your life and you think, well, God just given up on me. He must be finished with me. You know, I'm never gonna be good enough. I don't know what's happening. He, he just, he doesn't care, Brian. You don't understand, he just not, doesn't care. But listen, Jesus is not finished with you. He's just getting started. You see, John tells us, John 20, 31, it says, but these are written that you may 
believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. John says, listen, it's about faith. And through that faith, he gives you a life. This life John talks about can be yours this morning. He talks about several different types. There's two I wanna point out to you this morning. Jesus says you can have an abundant life in him. John 10, 10 says, the thief comes only to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That word full means extraordinary, extraordinary, or abundant. You see, it's been paid in full so you can be full. It's the idea of being satisfied. The only life that will not disappoint is the one rooted in Jesus Christ. Everything else will fail you. You see, Jesus wants to save you. Jesus wants to redeem you. And I ask you, seriously, between me and you, you don't have to tell anybody else. Are you tired of chasing the same old things that don't satisfy? If that new car would actually make you feel better, don't you think all those people with new cars would actually be happy? You see them driving down the road, they're just as miserable as everybody else. Don't you think if, an- I mean, if another drink or another girl, or another guy, or more money was actually the answer to being full and satisfied, don't you think you'd be content and full by now? Those things you chase won't work. Jesus is saying, I can fill you. I can give you satisfaction. And that's what he offers you. He wants to show you what this means. Because everything else in this world is temporary. Your job, all of it, everything else you put your hope in is temporary. Jesus is eternal. You see, do you want an extraordinary life in Christ? He says, believe. Believe the gospel is the answer to your deepest needs. Believe the gospel, what Jesus has done and who he is will satisfy you in all areas of your life. We have to continually, me, you, all of us, continually to believe and re-believe and continue to work that out in our lives every day. Quit doubting and believe. So he offers us an abundant life, but he offers us a new life. If you haven't heard this verse before, I'm so glad you're here this morning. John 3, 16 and 17 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to, what's that word? Save the world through him. See, the greatest being, the creator of the heavens and earth has given us the greatest feeling, his love by sending the greatest sacrifice and giving you the greatest promise you can ever imagine that there's a fresh start, a new start, an eternal start through Jesus Christ. You see, eternal life doesn't happen when you die. Eternal life starts when you believe. There's something different there. He gives it to you and he wants to save you. He wants to save you from the path that you're headed down. He wants to save you from the sins you're engulfed in. You think, well, it's not that bad, but come on, you know it is. You know it's not working. You know there's still a void. And Jesus is saying, I'm trying to tell you it's me. Are you ready for a change? Are you ready for things to look different in your marriage, your career, your relationships? 
your finances. Jesus says, come on. He says, I want to recreate you. I want to restore you. I want to redeem you. That's what the resurrection's about. The creator of the universe saying, I'm going to take responsibility for what you've done. And I'm going to pay for it. And I'm going to take those sins. I'm going to bury them in the grave. And I'm going to raise again. And I'm going to give you the opportunity to have a fresh, new, eternal start today. So this Easter, we celebrate. We celebrate the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. We celebrate that it it is finished. The work he has come to do for you and I is finished, but he's not done with you yet. This morning's proof of that. That's why you're here. It doesn't matter if your life's never been better or maybe your life's never been worse. We believe on this Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, who offers us something so much better. So what do you do? Stop doubting and believe. Doesn't mean you're gonna understand it. It doesn't mean you're gonna get it. But feed your beliefs, grow in your faith. But it all starts with a choice. So I ask, what's yours? In a moment, we're gonna have a song of reflection, an invitation song where we're gonna sing out to Jesus. And in a moment, I'm gonna pray before that. I'm gonna do two different prayers and, well, not two different prayers, I'm gonna do one prayer. But listen, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, maybe you've never believed, maybe you've never started, you've chosen to doubt. You haven't even, you're choosing to ignore. If you just say this prayer and and, and you talk out loud or talk in your heart to God, it's not the prayer that's magical, it's your heart change. Saying, God, I choose to believe. You can start a new life with Jesus Christ this morning. Or maybe for you, you've just walked away. You've just chosen to feed those doubts. You've walked away. You're not really interested. But today you're like, you know what? I need to do over. I need a new start. That's what the resurrection's all about. That he redeems and restores and continues to renew us. It's an amazing thing. And he says, just believe. So I'm gonna help you with this prayer. Whether you're starting, whether you're continuing, whether you're coming back, you can repeat that wherever you're at. But it's just a prayer of saying, Lord, I believe. We bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we come in the name of Jesus and we thank you. Father, we pray for those today who need to turn their life to you, maybe recommit their life to you. Father, we pray that your spirit will move in a mighty way and that when they feel their heart tugging this morning, they'll know it's not a coincidence, but it's you pulling, your Holy Spirit telling them to come on. And if you're someone here today and you feel the spirit moving in your life, Say something like this, Heavenly Father, come to your name of Jesus. Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I don't do what I'm supposed to do right. I know I've messed up. I'm tired of living this way. Father, I choose to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. That his blood has washed me clean of all of mine. I believe that Jesus rose from the grave to give me a new life. I believe that Jesus is Lord. Father, thank you for accepting me through Jesus. Thank you for giving me a new start. Thank you for redeeming me and restoring me. Forgive me of all my sins in the name of Jesus.
Amen. If those of you prayed that 